Okay, I'm back, and I'm alive and feeling pretty good. Thank you guys for all the prayers. Everybody that was able to come to church yesterday was made it to church, and that was a God thing. My first day out since the surgery on Tuesday to repair a hernia that was up in the abdominal section in a very strange place. The doctor said it was an unusual type of hernia, but uh, he did a phenomenal job. He and his surgical staff did that last Tuesday. And uh, so tomorrow will be a week, and um, I'm feeling really good. So I'm very thankful. But I, I meant to mention or give you guys uh, the the where the place that you could go yourselves to um, stay uh, updated, uh, attuned to the Bible reading plan that we're on. And I apologize, didn't give that to you because I wasn't feeling good enough to to read the last three days or so. The, the place to go is cr at bibleplan.org, cr at bibleplan.org. And there you would check off chronological Bible reading plan for one year. And the starting date would be January 1st, 2024. Make sure you don't put today's date. Um, put January 1st. And then it'll give you the, the schedule that we're on and keep you updated. It'll send you a, a notification every day. Although they tend to come late, you sometimes after we're doing our reading, so you can go on to um, whatever they sent you the previous day down at the bottom and hit the um, Bible reading plan for the whole year, and it, it'll give you the whole layout, and you can figure out where we are. Anyway, thought I would let you know on that, uh, where you can go and have it emailed to you uh, every day in case... You miss it, I'm sick, or whatever, you guys can keep updated. So, anyway, with that being said, let's move on to Exodus 14 and 15 and Matthew 26 today. Father, we thank you for the beauty of a new day. Thank you for your healing power, and thank you, God, for just keeping us all together. And uh, we just praise you. And I, so more sympathetic, God, is... I realize how many people do have to go through surgery and have major medical issues going on. So, God, we t- together corporately support one another and just ask you to continue to heal our, our outward bodies, God, as you continue to nourish and strengthen our, our inner man. So thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 14, Pharaoh in pursuit. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pi Hariath, between Migdal and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal Zephon, opposite it, by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the sons of Israel, They are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, and they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart towards the people. And they said, what is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made his chariot ready and took his people with him. And he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army. And they overtook them camping by the sea, by Pi Hariath, in front of Baal Zephon. 
As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they became very frightened, and the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there was no graves in Egypt they have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Verse 13. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. The sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the heart of the Egyptians so that they will go after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. Verse 19, the angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it became between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was a cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided. Sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on the right and on the left. The Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve, and he made them dry with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots, and over their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea turned to its normal state at daybreak, while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's army that had gone into the sea after them, not even one of them remained. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel on that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Chapter 15 Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord, and they said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is exalted. The horse and its rider he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father God, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. 
The choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone at your right hand. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemies. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The flowing waters stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw out my sword, my hand will destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Anguish is gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab trembling grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone until your people pass over, O Lord, until your people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, which you have made your dwelling, the sanctuary of, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. Verse 19, the horses of Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider are hurled into the sea. Verse 22, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And he threw it into the water, and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statute and a regulation, and there he tested them. And he said, If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians. For I, the Lord, am your healer. And they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. Well, the famous story, crossing of the Red Sea, an amazing story as we see the power of God. What was God doing bringing them out of Egypt? Egypt often referred to or used as the type of the world, the enslavement of the world, the captivity of the world. He wanted to bring them into a new relationship with him. He was going to take them to Mount Sinai, which is, we believe modern scholars looking are looking a lot more at Saudi Arabia, not the Sinai Peninsula, for many, many reasons. So they would be crossing the Red Sea there, the Red Sea, not the Reed Sea. 
And um, so they would have been chased all the way across the Sinai Peninsula by the Egyptian army. It's a long, tireless journey, and they finally make it. And and they they are obviously free from Egypt, but their hearts aren't free. They're they're still enslaved by the, the whole idea that they have been a conquered people, and they have no power to resist the great power of Egypt. And they were for 400 years around their gods and all of the might of Egypt. So it's, they're not what we would say saved. They have not had that close encounter of the right kind with God. They saw the power of God in Egypt. Now you would think that'd be enough. All of the miracles, miracle after miracle after miracle, you'd think that they would have just been completely embracing Yahweh. But they, they weren't at this time. And so fear grips them. They, after seeing all of the plague and not being affected by them, the miraculous deliverance, plundering the Egyptians, this is one thing after another after another, now they're faced with essentially, we could say metaphorically, taking that one big step of faith out of the world and saying it's all going to be by faith, trusting in, in, in my God, the new God I'm, I'm, I've come to know. They needed to cross over the Red Sea. They needed to be baptized into a new relationship, a new reality, and come into everything God had promised for them, their future inheritance, to walk in the promises of God. And when they see the enemy behind them, pursuing them, not wanting to let them go, which is what happens to us when we are at that crossroads. When we see God work miracles in our life, we know he's, he's calling us out of the world. The enemy pursues, the world pursues behind us and wants to overtake us and draw us back. And, and so many times we go, man, it'd be so much easier. You know, my life was easier when I was in the world and have to walk by faith and all this trusting God stuff. And we... We tend to look back at our enslavement as the world in the world as something better than what we were going through, going through at the minute. If at the moment, if we're facing a, a trial of some kind, and 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 Moses being gracious here, just showing that the gracious heart of our our Redeemer says, "Just wait and see, watch." And the salvation of the Lord, interesting phrase, watch. God will fight for you. He wanted them to see that God had always been there, but they'd been blinded to the fact that God was their power and their strength if they would walk in it and trust him. And so this is what he does. I, I think there's so much so much we can learn from that, that that we can have our doubts and, and difficulties and whine, even after we've seen God do major things in our life and still think about going back to the world. And God says, no, let me just bring you through this. And in God's mind, all right, he's, I think he's more interested in, in, in the metaphor, the symbolism of them being baptized than almost he was the Egyptians pursuing them and conquering them. Because it's going through the Red Sea on dry ground between those the towers of the water piled up on each side that we have, we have the understanding from the New Testament that they entered into a baptism. And what is that? It's the, it is the symbol of the washing away of our sins of the past and everything that had bound us up and, and, and dying to that and rising up a new life. It's crossing over death to life, uh, slave to free. All of these are different things, so they do cross over. 
Now, it's interesting. Was the Passover in Egypt a salvation experience? And I, I struggle with this because it would seem to need to be to fit the, the, the idiom, fit the model, that they would have needed to really have surrendered their hearts at the Passover to apply the blood over the door um, for the baptism to follow because baptism needs to follow belief. So I guess symbolically that was true. And, but maybe in reality they had not yet fully been sanctified. Uh, maybe that's really that they were still falling in fear. I don't know. It's interesting. But they, they, so they go into further on and immediately they're confronted with thirst, which is good. We're supposed to thirst after the Lord. But again, they were supposed to know that they can't attain it by themselves. They can't, they can't find the source to satisfy their thirst other than allowing God to bring it to them. God supplies them the spring, and God gives them the water. So he essentially he redeems them at the Passover. They pass through the waters of baptism. They're coming into their new life, and they need to look up to him to be the one to supply them all that they need and be the water of life to them and rely. And that's why he says, if you trust in me, if you choose to stay to follow me, then I will be your God, and I will continue to fight these fights for you, these battles for you. And I will bring you into this newness. And this is what, what the whole thing of going to Mount Sinai was all about. So they could see the reality of him. I mean, they're going to see the reality of his power and his presence and established. And then so we just went through Genesis yesterday talking about the flood. It is at this point now that God's going to say, okay, now construct an ark because I'm now going to come back. Essentially, my manifest presence. He's there in spirit. He's there guiding them. I mean, the angel of the Lord could be Christ in a Christophany. They're guiding them and directing them, the rock in the wilderness, but wanted a, a manifestation of his glory among them as it was in the garden, and that would be come through the tabernacle and through the ark that they were going to build. So all this leading up to a purpose to establish a permanence of relationship with his people on the earth. Matthew 26, 36. Sorry, we're going to jump in the middle of it to stay on track for our reading. But we're at verse 36 to 75, the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. Spirit is willing, flesh is weak. He went away again, second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, their eyes were heavy, and he left them again and went away and prayed the third time, saying same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Verse 47, While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs came from the chief priests 
and the elders of the people. Now, he who was betraying him gave them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one sees him. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. And they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? At that time Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me, as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this is taking place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. But Peter was following at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two came forward. They said, this man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. The high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on clouds of the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered, He deserves death. Then they spat on his face and beat him with their fists, and others slapped him. And they said, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? Verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, a bystander came up, said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Well, thank God he, he immediately repents. What's happening with Peter falling in fear? That's pretty obvious, poor guy. He made the arrogant statement that he would follow Jesus unto his death, willing to suffer everything for him. But yet when it came down to it and he sees that he could die because of his faith, he cowers. But again, this is Peter before he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He had times when the Spirit came upon him and did some amazing things. But the Spirit has not yet taken taken up residence to really empower him yet. Once he has that, 
wow, he's never going to be the same, unstoppable. We'll never deny his Lord again. But as far as the whole Gethsemane experience goes, Jesus knew all these things must happen to take place according to the scriptures. And we study those things. This is interesting because when you look into Daniel, in the 70 weeks of Daniel, we have the clear the clear statement that Daniel, way back in Babylon in the captivity, 500 years plus earlier, saying that the Messiah would come, you know, 183,883 days, 180,883 days after the, the command to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which we just finished in the book of Nehemiah. And after that, he would come into Jerusalem as their king. That's why we see in Matthew that he was so sad and weeping that they didn't recognize the time of his coming. But then he would be cut off. Cut out, which means to be killed. But then he would come back. He would resurrect. And these things are, are listed in a number of prophets different ways. Uh, and and it's, it's amazing to hear Jesus tell the disciples that these things must happen. Put away the sword. You know, this, this has to happen this way. Everything Jesus did was him walking in fulfillment of Scripture. His whole life was about glorifying God through perfect obedience to the law, but also perfect, um, shall we say, cadence with the fulfilling of prophecy. He was always in step with it, everything he did. So he knew he would be betrayed. He knew that he had to die, and he was willing to. This is why he asked God if there's any. <laughs> He's asking the Father, is there any other way? The human side of him, uh, let it come about, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So he he chooses, and this is why he is the great redeemer. This is why he is the lamb of God. And he becomes for us the Passover lamb. The very things that Israel had celebrated, and they're now coming out of Egypt and being baptized because they had placed the blood of the lamb up over the doorpost and the, and the Passover angel, or the angel of death passed over them. That is what Jesus celebrated uh, before he's taken just prior to this event of Gethsemane. And now um, he's taken into captivity. He was celebrating with his apostles the Passover, but rebranding it. In other words, the, that was the last Passover meal. Sorry, Jewish friends, we love you. But the last Passover meal happened with Jesus. From that moment on, the Passover meal became the communion celebration. It became the Lord's Supper. He re reinstituted it and said, this is my body, this is my blood. He took the bread, he took the wine. And he says, no longer is this going to represent us rushing out of, out of Egypt with the bread with no yeast. And, and, and no longer is this going to be the blood of the lamb that was placed over the doorpost. This is now my blood. This is now my bread, the bread of my body, the life that you receive through what I'm going to be, my, my work on the cross, the brokenness and the blood of the covenant of grace. So um, any, any kind of Passover meals that go on today, go on with the Jews, obviously is, is they're still doing it, leaving the seat for Elijah open, waiting for the coming of 
Elijah before the coming of the Messiah, and they're still waiting. But we understand that any of it will now anything you celebrate is is looking back our our Passover our communion service Lord's Supper is a looking back to what happened on the cross and a celebration of that that he was our Passover lamb we apply the blood over our hearts the doorposts of our hearts and he has brought us out of Egypt he has brought us through the water of baptism he's brought us into the new life we need to look to him to receive the water of life only can only come from him and be established as he brings us into this permanent bond of relationship with him and into his presence and always he says if we will just follow him he will be our lord he'll be our protector he'll be our guide so we we see the the beauty of the symbolism the old testament given to us in the new and jesus ratifying all this saying all this is according to the will of my father all of this a part of the plan for salvation. Okay, Charles Spurgeon. And the Lord said unto Abraham, after that lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land which thou seest to thee I will give it and to thy seed forever. Genesis 13, 14, and 15. A special blessing for a memorial, memorable occasion. Abram had settled his family dispute. He had said, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between thee and me, for we are brethren. And hence he received the blessing which belongs to peacemakers, the Lord and giver of peace delights to manifest his grace to those who seek peace and pursue it. We desire closer communion with God. We must keep closer to the ways of peace. Abram had behaved very generously to his kinsmen, giving him the choice of the land. If we deny ourselves for peace's sake, the Lord will more than make it up to us. As far as the patriarch can see, he can claim, and we may do the like by faith. Abram had to wait for the actual possession, but the Lord entitled the land upon him and his prosperity. Boundless blessings belong to us by covenant gift. All things are ours. When we please the Lord, he makes us to look everywhere and see all things our own, whether things present or things to come, all are ours. And we are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Wow. Well, there you go. Look out. Look up. Look upon the things around us and see what God has graciously given to the believer. And uh, we, I mean, it's its kind of bizarre to think about that. It's kind of over, overwhelming. But think about after the tribulation. We look out to the land of the world today, and it seems like we're pretty insignificant. We don't can't claim much inheritance land-wise, or anything else. We know our inheritance is essentially in Christ. He is our inheritance. But in the millennium, it's going to be a glorious place for believers, only believers, only those that have been baptized into Christ, those who have passed through into new life. And it's going to be a glorious time. I'm sorry, I'm talking about those of us who will be then in our immortal bodies. There will be immortals still there on the earth. I need to correct myself on that will still not be essentially saved, but the inheritance, we reign with him, we rule with him. We have an, an enormous and immense inheritance that as we look out upon this world, uh, we can you know, tell the people, take whatever you want. I mean, yeah, go ahead, uh, rip me off, take take my land or whatever it is, but just know <laughs> we're going to, our inheritance is going to simply be to be ruling and reigning with Christ upon the whole earth when the, when the millennium comes. So there's, there's a lot to that physiologically, but 
metaphorically, spiritually, we look out into the world and we see that we have we've gained the peace of God that surpasses understanding, and we have the we have the knowledge of our inheritance in heaven in the millennium, our new bodies glorified, redeemed, and so many so many things like that. But God can also look out and do an amazing things as I think Charles Spurgeon is saying, when we are gracious and giving, and not not hungry for stuff, he can he can do an amazing thing to to bless us with things we never thought even possible as we let him be the one to supply our needs and yield over to him and not be so greedy then even in this life even with things that we would desire to have property jobs certain things god can do it amazing more abundantly we could ever ask or think but we have to yield to him again letting him be the one that guides us in all in all things all right with that let's go ahead and spend a moment in prayer Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you so much for a beautiful start of a new week and for the many people that came and fellowshiped with us in church yesterday. What a, just a glorious time that was to see the way you're moving, the worship. So many people from so many places and so many people listening from different places as well. You bless them on their journey this week. Be the God of their salvation. Guide them, God. Help them to realize the journey that you are bringing them on to be glorified through them and to bring them into that special place of inheritance for them. So continue, God, to do the work in us, to refine us, to sanctify us, to make us more like you. Thank you for your healing power. Thank you for my healing. Thank you for all those who prayed for me and for the continued healing that that many of my brothers and sisters need those that are getting their treatments for cancer or for heart conditions or for high blood pressure. God, continue to use the doctors, but God, we ultimately ask that you be the great healer and you heal us in all these things. Continue to pray, God, for the peace of Jerusalem and this war to end quickly as we see how incredibly pivotal it is for end times prophecy. God, just prepare us for whatever's coming this year. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so thank you guys. If you didn't get a chance to see Sunday's, ours, uh, teaching in Genesis, you might want to catch it. There's some very interesting things in there that are very applicable to what's going on today. So go back and check it up on YouTube or Facebook or Calvary Chapel, Puerto Vallarta. So we'll see you again tomorrow. And uh, you guys just keep looking up. Our redemption draws very nigh. See you tomorrow.